What's up, guys? Constitutional lawyer Mike Yoder here, and this is Legally Armed. Welcome back to Legally Armed. This is constitutional attorney Mike Yoder, and today I have a very special guest, uh, more special to me than you, but nonetheless, I got that patriot mom, aka Gabby, to come downstairs and join me in the studio. So, Welcome to the podcast I've been trying to get you on for three weeks now. <laughs> well, it's better than three years because if you know me, you know I don't do podcasts. My friends know that. Uh, I've said no to everyone else for three years. So you know what? You should just feel really uh, loved and special right now. <laughs> well, thank you for gracing me and the over 3,000 people that listened to the first episode, which I was shocked to see that there were that many downloads. So I appreciate you guys more than you know, and hopefully we can keep those numbers going, you know, better, better pump those numbers up. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to tell you the reference if you don't get it. Anyways, you know, this week, I wanted to dive right into something that you pointed out to me that I didn't even really notice or pay attention to. And frankly, that's one of the things I love about you and our relationship is just how many things you point out to me that I otherwise wouldn't think about. And we don't really agree a lot on the means to an end. We just almost always, if not always, agree on the same outcomes. We just have very different views on how we get there, which makes our relationship amazing because we both grow. But I'm specifically talking about your post about the Grammys. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Well, obviously by now everyone has seen uh, the clip played over and over and over. Um, but what was, I, I think at this point we kind of expect uh, the Grammys and award shows, Super Bowl, all these things to like be a spectacle and, and have uh, these satanic symbolism um, undertones and obviously now more overtones. So that part wasn't shocking to me. Um, What was more shocking to me was seeing the reaction and the infighting in our community of whether we should be sharing that video even to begin with. Um, And, and the reasoning uh, varied, you know, some people thought that, oh, we're, we're just helping them market and blow up and go viral. Why are we giving them attention? And then other people on a spiritual level thought that like, we're actually helping the enemy spread his message more by sharing the video. And what I've never seen a reaction like that. I've done very deep dives on what happened at Astroworld, um, Super Bowl halftime shows, symbolism, um, squishables had a whole satanic line, all these things. And to me, we're not helping the enemy. It's all about your intent. You know, you're not participating in it. You're exposing it. You're trying to help educate people and show people what's actually going on. And a lot of people think that, oh, everyone just knows that inherently. Like we've known this for a long time, but that's not true. There's a lot of people that for whatever reason haven't woken up to it. Um, But when they see something so blatant in their face, it's very hard to deny what's actually going on. Yeah. And you know, the the two biggest things that make me um, perplexed, I should say, as to the stance that is condemning those who are trying to further expose the satanic nature of you know what was going on the first issue i have is that 
let's take your post, for example. Your post did not play the video. Your post did not even show a full image of what was going on. It was just, you know, the background behind some screenshotted tweets and some research that you did. So it was enough that you could see through the border or the perimeter of the image what it was and enough to know what it was. But it didn't really show the whole image. The people complaining that you're quote unquote talking about it are by definition talking about it like they're doing the exact same thing that you're doing but their purpose with what they're saying is to silence you i.e there's no net gain from their commentary whereas your purpose is to educate other people who may not know what happened or realize what's going on mm -hmm. because believe it or not and this is mainly for the listeners this isn't me talking to you what you know is not the same as your neighbor and we have this sort of god complex where we see our baseline knowledge or whatever it is that we know to be pervasive across broad swaths of society that would be like me mentioning race ipsa loquitur, non-mutual offensive collateral estoppel, things like that that are legal terms. If I'm in a room with 20 other lawyers, yeah, they're all going to know what I'm talking about. But if you're a plumber or a nurse or a stay-at-home mom or a, even in finance perhaps, you probably are like, what the hell did he just say? Right. So take that and apply it to politics and realize even if something seems very simple and commonsensical to you, it isn't to everyone else. And frankly, the category of people that we need to be reaching the most are not those that are fully aware of what's going on. It's right. those who aren't. Right. So I fundamentally disagree with people saying, oh, you're spreading this narrative. Because just to point this out, I didn't hear anyone bitching when people were calling out Balenciaga and reposting those exactly. images. I didn't hear that these people complaining when there was Epstein Island going on, when there right. are all these other scandals. Right. They never said a word. Astroworld right. never said anything. I was anything. so shocked by the reaction. I'm like, why is this one thing triggering people and dividing people so hard on this one subject when, you know, people that run accounts like me, we we talk about this stuff all the time. And and I think the last few years we we've all been kind of living in these these silos within our community. And if we're not reaching outside of our community where we've kind of lost touch on like what common knowledge is like should it be common knowledge yeah and even going back to like i appreciate you saying like i didn't post the you know the video the the music all that because it already been spread everywhere but i don't fault anyone who did post it because quite frankly we have sometimes you need to see it like you need to experience it fully to to grasp the nature of what's truly going on. And that's what we've lived through the last two, three years where people are so ignorant to everything going on prior to COVID until it smacked you in the face, tyranny smacked you in the face, even though it's been going on in the background for centuries. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, like you have to be like shaken awake. And I will say that even in my own experience, the next day I, I went to an appointment and 
the person who who was doing my appointment I've known for years. She's Christian. She's conservative. And until she saw that video, she did not fully understand how bad it was in the music industry in Hollywood Um, because it's just getting so blatant that you you can't even ignore it. But but unfortunately, it's going to take having to show people and talk about it, even if it's uncomfortable. And you have to learn how to communicate effectively, guys. I mean, one of the biggest things that I run into a lot is when I see people with good intentions trying to spread awareness and trying to communicate this message fall flat on their face because of their approach and the way that they try to communicate. The best way to get your point across to someone else is not, ha, I know something that you don't. So stop hoarding information and acting like gatekeepers. Put the information you have out there, qualify it, say, hey, I saw this, not fully sure of whether it's true or not. Does anyone else have any information that they can add instead of acting like it's etched in stone? Or if you post something, do so with clarity and stop, you know, sort of hiding the eight ball words. What you're doing, and I can see right through it, is you probably haven't been relevant before. And the information that you have and you're trying to hoard as to, Ooh, what am I going to get out of this? You need something that I have that you don't No, Other people are going to get the information. You may have been early on with that information, but you're intentionally inflating your, it could be subconscious. It might not be intentional, but you're inflating your own ego by giving your sense of false relevancy with withholding this information instead of just educating people. Imagine how much damage, or I guess I shouldn't say damage, how much worse off society would be if people all acted the same way in regard to that. If I never shared any information about religious accommodations, what it means to have a sincerely held religious belief. What about Project Veritas, which I don't care about your individual opinions as to James O'Keefe, especially with what's going on currently with them trying to oust him from Project Veritas himself. I'm not getting into that. I don't know enough information about it. I'm not going to speculate. What I will say as a matter of fact, is that Project Veritas and their reporting has fundamentally affected and impacted millions of lives for the better. For example, the publication and the story that they posted on the fetal cell line tissue being discussed amongst Pfizer execs, acknowledging it, that it was used in the process to develop the vaccines. That alone saved unequivocal numbers of jobs and livelihoods for millions of families because that made the argument against religious accommodations effectively jello. It just made anyone who has a sincerely held religious belief that stands for pro-life views, such as Christians, that believe abortion is a sin. That put the nail in the coffin. That type of reporting is incredible. And at the end of this episode, I'll be telling you about another link between a Project Veritas publication and the legal impact that that publication has had. So stay tuned throughout the rest of this. But another thing I wanted to talk to Gabby about, God, I hate calling you Gabby. (laughs) It's so weird. 
I'm always like, babe, where's this? Babe, what time we got to be here? Babe, what am I supposed to wear? Uh, make me a sandwich. Make me a sandwich. No, please. I say please. I'm just kidding. Make me have to be a heathen on you. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to get to was not only just, you know, how you go against the grain, but you explain why. It's the communication side of things, which you do so well. And I love you for that. And it's the patience and the way that you communicate with me. More importantly, and more back on topic, not about us, but about what we're talking about, is the need for good journalism. Because what you, I, listeners all know are probably all three on different levels and varying degrees because it's a complex topic in the entirety of politics. But that's all going to be different from, you know, taking me, for example, a constitutional attorney that worked in the throes of Washington, D.C. for years. What I'm going to know about politics is definitely going to be more than that stay-at-home mom with, you know, four kids to take care of or that single mom that has two kids that's working two different jobs to try to make ends meet because Biden's just mm -hmm. absolutely fucked the entire economy. So they don't have the same time or the same skill set that I have to research or find stuff, and they don't have the same baseline level of knowledge. So going back to its core the number one thing we need to do is motivate people to stop being lazy, which again, that's not an insult to any of the categories I just said. It's that people need to start doing their own research, but those who know how to research need to communicate that skill set effectively and start teaching others, which is something that I'm going to be stressing more. But secondly, and I want you to talk to this, the messaging and the way that you convey your point mm -hmm. is critical because people do not like to be attacked looked down on, spoken down to, if you come off that you're on an intellectual or morally superior high horse, right? you are doing nothing more than making yourself look like a jackass mm -hmm. because people aren't going to listen to you. They aren't going to respect you. And even if they're right, they're going to make fun of you. Yeah. So learning how to effectively communicate the message by planting seeds, offering up information for consideration and letting people draw their own conclusions. So mm -hmm. you do a great job of it. You're far better at that than me. Well, I appreciate that. I feel like there's two camps. I feel like, um, like me personally, I've been awake and aware to most things uh, for 10 plus years. And I feel like there's the old school community that kind of does have a chip on their shoulder of like, oh, well, finally you got here and we've known this and yada, yada, yada. And then I also feel like there's the newly awakened that also conduct themselves the, the same way of, oh, doesn't everyone like know this by now? But for people like myself I, and maybe some people relate, we felt lonely. We felt isolated. We felt made to be crazy being like a quote unquote conspiracy theorist for a decade plus. And I know there's people listening probably even longer, but for me, when this all started happening, I was more like, oh my gosh, yes. Like you're all like joining us and it's becoming more like common knowledge where I've been more like a cheerleader. And if you've been like knowing this time was going to come and you're preparing for it, like you have to have patience. Like you have to plant seeds and you have to um, be approachable. Let those seeds grow. Right. And, and and you never, and this is the whole thing with gatekeeping about the, the Grammys thing too, is how wrong is it of us to try to dictate the timeline of 
when and what piece of information that someone needed on their journey is going to fit into that puzzle that they're trying to figure out. And then that one thing hits after they had 20 other seeds planted where it all just clicks and like, oh my gosh, I get it now. So I, I just think it's so wrong. And to me, I leave it up to God. If God is calling you to talk about something, that's your niche, that's your lane. And he wants you to talk about it. That's how the only time I post is when I feel compelled to. I don't just do it because I it's breaking. Everyone's talking about it. I need to say something, which is typically most people are just saying what everyone else is saying. If I don't have something to add the conversation or make you laugh or be relatable, like I just move on. And I, I think one of the most beautiful things about your page, and I mean, when I first met you, I saw your page and I was like, damn, she's funny as hell. <laughs> like some of the stuff that you post is just so on point and you're just acumen and just wealth of knowledge of just like music and movie scenes and the way that you weave them together just kills me. And she's a lot funnier in person. I promise you. There's just probably a lot of jokes that we can't include in this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But the wild thing is that you taught me that humor is arguably the most powerful weapon to change culture in the mind because mm -hmm. humor makes people laugh. It elicits a laugh and that's an uncontrollable bodily response to something. Mm -hmm. And when you're laughing, it's releasing dopamine. If it's dopamine being released in your brain, it means that there's an elated positive environment or energy or mood. So the best way to convince someone of something that they don't like is through humor. Right. And uh, I don't necessarily know if it was you or if it was Bobby who, you know, take naps. I heard him say it. I don't, and I can't remember the original source, but they said, make people laugh. And when their mouth is open, pour truth in it. I love that. And it's so true because you can't help but laugh at the idiocracy that is the United States Congress. Right. And, our well, and that's how Babylon B has become. It's not even satire anymore. And you think about historically, I mean, look at court gestures. They were the only people that were allowed to make fun of the king. Anyone else, you get your head chopped off. But if you're making jokes about it, you're entertaining people, you get away with a lot more. And you're also a lot more approachable. Yeah, because if you're doing it with humor and you're doing it in a funny way, it's much more well received. Yeah. I mean, go look at my TikTok comments. I'm not sure about that, but <laughs> they're just a bunch of they're just a bunch of pussies. Like, I mean, if you there are so many people who have the emotional fortitude of a jellyfish. It's like, oh, did I offend you? What was it that I said? Did I misused did I did I mistake your Zzer for a wow. him or a her? And it's like that's this generation. I mean that was that was a calculated my whole thing. Effort. So let me get this straight. You're offended by correct grammatical English, and it's offensive to you because I can't visually see that you may have a, a mental condition going on. And I'm not making fun of that. I do actually think it's a very serious problem that needs to be addressed. I think mental health is a massive issue in America, but. I'm sorry if the truth offends you. I will not change or lie because not only do I not have an obligation to care about your feelings, 
I don't, because the truth should never be wavered from. And if we have to take different avenues to get there, that's fine with me. But we need to have a society that is focused on actually moving the ball forward, which is getting the truth out. And people hoarding it is not helpful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, secondly, the one legal thing that I wanted to talk about going back to the Project Veritas and the importance of truth in journalism is the PrEP Act and helping people understand this. And you've done an incredible job with me behind the scenes. The reason I haven't really spoke a lot about the PrEP Act is because it is so complex and you have graciously listened to me try to break this down to layperson level language and I'm not saying that in a, in a disrespectful way. No, I'm way. a great litmus test. I'm like, um, ex- you said what? Explain that to me like I'm five because <laughs> I am just like the average citizen. And, and I'm not going to like patronize you. I'm not. I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to speak to you as I would speak to anyone else that isn't a lawyer and assume that you understand it. And it's on you to speak of if you don't. And we, we also have incredible communication, which makes this possible. But that being said, you help me distill explaining the prep act to a digestible level and it's very complicated but the reason i want to talk about this not only because it's you know the legal component i said that there would be in every episode but because you have been one of the a funniest but b most aggressive advocates for children's health and for people using their brains and critically thinking before they put these vaccines in their bodies that are ir- you know it's it's irreversible it's not like a mask that you know and then this is where you get the conspiracy theorists people oh well there, did you see that there's stuff that's in the mask okay dude did you drink water today i guarantee you that there's fluoride in it unless it's from an artesian well otherwise what did you eat today point being you're well putting- there's there's chemicals in everything yeah. we're being poisoned on every level they yeah. don't need to yeah it's like they always <laughs> want to find that one little thing to make themselves stand out or seem important right. and it's just like no dude like you're you're stupid like stay on topic here we're not trying to be like just focus on what's relevant like we all like just let it go but the thing about vaccines that you did is that you made some of the funniest videos getting millions of views on tiktok but it really called out the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. i mean one of them started with like britney spears where you're like oh you know you want to have you know you support britney because she should have you know decisions over her own body her freedom and and her money and her her being able to move freely wherever she'd like to it's, go it's like damn I, you're, you're almost a republican yeah i was like you guys are so close to being republican and i and you know i, I also, didn't like that one <laughs> it and let me just put a plug in here it was a long time ago is at the beginning of the pandemic because right now i don't necessarily know if i want to say that i'm a republican anymore because i think that they're just the same as democrats i mean i think that there's no question the the only moral if there are any members of congress are republican they are not any democrats you cannot literally uh, i firmly believe that you cannot look me in the eye and tell me that you are a democrat and you have a moral compass unless that shit's pointed south or the the compass is just like haywire um but that being said the republican party is just another wing of the same bird and going into understanding the prep act who these assholes 
you know, the PrEP Act, which was written by these assholes in Congress, this law is actually going to be the biggest weapon we have against taking down any entity responsible for what they did throughout the pandemic. But back to Project Veritas and journalism and truth, the video that they just posted exposing Pfizer is integral to the most difficult element of proving a claim with the PREP Act. Without that video and that story, it would be extremely difficult to prevail. It's possible. But what Project Veritas did in exposing Pfizer like this is going to be critical. And I'm going to explain why. This is my first public attempt on trying to break the prep back down after working with you on it for ever but the before prep- you get into those details can i just say one thing about the whole project veritas thing i've noticed so many people when something comes out like that or even with things that you have been working on and done there's just so many doomers out there they're like oh great well you exposed it we already knew that what's actually going to be done about it and people have like no patience they have no i don't know if it's hope is the right word but it's like everyone has their thing and their purpose like just because they exposed it it doesn't mean it's their job to then like come in behind and and make pfizer and big pharma pay the price for it that's your job and that kind of stuff takes time yeah and you know the people that are like oh well we know this i've known the vaccines were dangerous for over two years right i was working on a joint we've known a lot of stuff i was working on a joint venture to curb covid through antibody testings with a healthcare technology company and a health company in 2019 in december i have the documents date stamped on my computer we knew of covid before it even hit yet it didn't come out as public until February of 2020. My point is that you could know something. Congratulations, you can read on the internet. Now, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I regret to inform those people that I can't walk into court and say, Your Honor, I know Pfizer knew that these vaccines were deadly, and they didn't care. Therefore, I prevail. In I'm my sure case. people have tried to like go to tr- like file lawsuits based on people do <laughs> on all the time. <laughs> they don't understand what a burden of proof truly is. Right. And not only is the prep act not a preponderance standard, it's a clear and convincing evidence standard, which means the only standard higher is beyond a reasonable doubt, which is applied in criminal cases. This is the highest standard it can be of evidence and proof for a civil matter. But that video hits on element number two of a prep act claim. So I got into this about nine months ago, 10 months ago now, because I just can't let people die and not have accountability or the truth be exposed. And when I kept hearing the media talking about the prep act and how this it's this blanket immunity veil, I was like, well, if, if that's what the media and the main narrative is, probably isn't. Yeah, probably go the complete opposite. Yeah, just do the opposite. Anything they say, just do the opposite. Every time. And lo and behold, right there in the statute, reads the language, and I quote, 
the PREP Act creates an exclusive federal cause of action. Cause of action is the same thing as negligence or defamation. It's something that you sue for. So I'm like, okay, so I can file count one violation of the PREP Act. Okay, so what constitutes a violation of the PREP Act? A negligence claim, for example, duty, breach, causation, damages. There's Those are the elements. PREP Act and crickets. I'm reading, 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 looking through this whole damn thing. There's no list of elements. And it's typically broken down like, you know, in order to prevail, plaintiff must prove colon. And then it's like one, two, three, four. No, that wasn't here. What happened was I had to effectively take the whole statute and dissect it and rebuild it. So just for those listening and not visualizing it, think of taking a page out of a book, not taking scissors and cutting every single word on that page into its own unique little piece of paper then putting it in the Ziploc bag and shaking it, dumping it out on the table and then piecing it back together. That's what I had to do with the statute. It took me over nine months because it was just buried. However, once I did that, I was able to draw out a very cohesive, easily digestible claim. It has to be number one for death or serious bodily injury. Number two, it has to be first ran through the CICP uh, countermeasure injury compensation program, as opposed to the VICP, which is the vaccine injury compensation program. Before I go further, I want to explain this. Level one of understanding exhaustion of an administrative remedy. That means it's a prerequisite to going to court. It's like a video game. You have to go through the CICP, i.e. the administrative remedy. You have to go through the CICP before you can go to court. It's like you have to beat level one before you can go to be, you know, go to level two. You don't necessarily have to resolve your case there, but you need to go through the gauntlet of it. The CICP is different than the VICP based on one single variable, whether the Secretary of Health and Human Services has declared a public health emergency. The VICP is for vaccines in just normal times, no pre-COVID, no pandemic. I mean, it'll, it'll be in existence, assume, you know, presumably after COVID's over, after the state emergency is lifted. But because there's a state of emergency, anything that was taken during that state of emergency by private corporations that caused death or serious bodily injury is eligible to be the countermeasure. That's the C in the CICP countermeasure injury compensation program. So even though there's a vaccine injury compensation program, a vaccine could also be a countermeasure. So just ignore VICP until the state of emergency is lifted. CICP is all you need to know, not VICP. You have to file your claim with the CICP and go through that before you file suit in federal court. Element number three, you have to file that lawsuit in the district of Columbia, the district court there does not matter where you live, where a loved one died, you have to file it in DC. Number four, you has to be eligible against a proper entity. A proper entity, fortunately, is essentially anyone. Anyone that distributed the vaccines, manufactured them, produced them, transported them, um, managed, you know, clinics, managed programs. So employers, trucking companies, media companies, anyone that pushed the narrative, anyone that produced them, anyone that sold them, anyone that gave them out, anyone that sold effectively everyone. 
there's a caveat there, which means that there's there's a carve out where an a, the AG has to take specific action before I can go after big pharma directly. However, I already have something in place for that plan. I'll explain that at the very end. Number five, the act or omission that was taken by the entity I just described has to have directly caused the injury or death. And they had to have done so with the intent to achieve a wrongful purpose. And it was absent scientific or factual justification. So let me unravel that real quick. I'm just going to recap and highlight that shortly. One, it has to be for death or serious bodily injury. Two, you have to go through the CICP. Three, when you do file suit, it has to be in DC. Four, it has to have been a countermeasure that was involved with a proper entity. I'm going to post the list along with this on my Instagram so you can see the breakdown of who the actual entities are. Five. We're putting show notes. Yeah, Yeah, I'll put on the show notes. Four. Am I on four or five? I think I'm on four. You have to have directly caused, or excuse me, your injury or death has to be directly caused by the vaccine. Five, the act or omission, whether it be advertising it, producing it, administering it, publishing it, whatever it may be, had to have been done with the intent to achieve a wrongful purpose. And six, it has to be directly or, or excuse me, it has to be without scientific or factual justification. So going back through these elements, one, very easy act or omission. They administered a countermeasure, like put you on a ventilator, or they uh, administered a vaccine or omission. They didn't give you ivermectin. Right. They should have. They could have saved your life. 95% of people could have been saved had they administered ivermectin. They literally carried out the Holocaust in front of our eyes in 18 months. Yep. They killed globally effectively the same number of people as the Holocaust by suppression of ivermectin. Just think about that. That being said, the number one quintessential element here that would be the hardest to prove is the intent to achieve a wrongful purpose. But James O'Keefe and Project Veritas have that. They carried the ball so many times with breaking stories because the number one difference with Project Veritas is they come with receipts. Right. There are other journalists that do as well, but there is nothing more damning as a matter of evidentiary standards than watching an employee of a defendant corporation whose statements are imputable against his employer sing like a bird. And that is why Project Veritas is so heavily attacked, and that is why Project Veritas is so impactful. The intent to achieve a wrongful purpose is readily established in that video because it shows that they were prioritizing financial and pecuniary gain over the safety and health of people worldwide, including throughout the entire United States, under a Biden administration initiative. Now, I'm going to be litigating these cases. The biggest hurdle we have right now, going back to the CICP, is that they have a one-year statute of limitations from the date the countermeasure was administered in order to file that claim. I will be taking this on and fighting like hell because I do believe it's unconstitutional. The gist of this is that 
it's not even in the statute. It's in the Code of Federal Regulations, which means that an administrative agency made this rule up, not Congress. Anyways, the whole point of this, and I'm not going to get into the long drawn out nature of it, but the one year statute of limitations can be overturned because of two things. One, because it's facially unconstitutional, because it in, it does not toll the statute for minors. So if you're a minor child that was vaccine injured under the age of uh, 18, if let's say if a three-year-old got vaccinated and got, you know, developed GBS or Guillain-Barre syndrome because of it, that kid only has until they're four years old to file a lawsuit. It's gone forever. But a four-year-old can't file a lawsuit. So there's problem number one. I mean, obviously they can through next, you know, parent or next, you know, next friend sort of having. Right. But they're the one that sustained the injury. So. So a parent would have to sue on behalf of a child, but there's no obligation to do that. Parents can sue on behalf of their kids. Right. But there's no obligation that they do so. The statute doesn't begin to run until they're 18. But in this instance, it does. Secondly, what if you developed or manifested a symptom or you died over a year after you receiving the vaccine? Now, mind you, keep in mind, that creates a bigger issue because it's harder to prove the causation right. if it's a year later. But you still could theoretically, nonetheless. Um, that's a problem. But the biggest thing is that West Virginia v. EPA, that case came out the same week as Dobbs, which overturned Roe v. Wade. There was a Second Amendment case that came out next, and then the third case was West Virginia v. EPA. No one really talked about it. That case is arguably, at least in my opinion, is the most consequential case to come out of the Supreme Court in the last decade. Because what it does is it holds Congress's feet to the fire and says that you can no longer delegate your duty to create and write the laws of this country to administrative bureaucrats. They weren't elected officials. You were elected to write the laws of this country, so do your damn job. What they used to do was pass a law. Let's use the CARES Act. Oh, we're going to promulgate the CARES Act and give out PPP loans to small businesses to help them through this, no, the, this crisis. But then the SBA is the one that carries it out and the SBA administers it. And the S SBA isn't Congress. They're appointed. They're not elected. So they'll just change the rules with FAQs every time they get sued. And it's like playing a board game with five-year-olds. So now Congress can't do that anymore. That one-year statute, like I said, is not in the text of the PREP Act. It was something that was developed through HHS. But it never reached the stage of being, quote-unquote, a final rule. It was published as a notice for public comment six days before the Supreme Court ruled on West Virginia v. EPA. As a result of that, it was never converted to a final rule before the Supreme Court cut the ability of HHS to convert that to a final rule. So that's the in and the loophole as to where I can sue to invalidate that statute. And the result of that would be anyone that was injured or died because of any countermeasure, whether it be remdesivir, suppression of ivermectin, the vaccine, throughout the entirety of this pandemic, will have a course of redress against any entity responsible. And I will fight this like hell because of what they did to everyone in this country. And I'm not a parent yet, but can you speak to what it's like being a mother during this entire saga of just wild decision making and irresponsible leadership with kids in schools and i mean in california they were talking about making you get covid vaccinated to go to school and they know damn well it doesn't even work like what was that like for you 
Well, I mean, I until you <laughs> it's so hard to say. Until you have children, I don't think you you fully understand like how scary that is. I mean, people say it's like your heart existing outside of your body and it's with everything. Like any challenges in your life, it's one thing if like you're going through it and it's a whole other ball game if someone's going after your child. You're like, come after me, but I can handle it. But you come after my child. Like, I mean, all gloves are off. And that's why we've seen like this mama bear revolution. Because I mean, moms are the ones that were fighting harder than anyone. Yeah. Where are the men? Oh, I've been saying that for Their a long time. Their heads are just buried time. in the sand. I mean, sand. we have a pretty good community here, but still, yeah. I mean, and I do sympathize because, you know, if the man is providing and working his butt off, the there's a lot of stay-at-homes and they have a little bit more free time. But at the same time, if you see the severity of what's going on where literally someone's coming after your child, your country is falling apart, like – you have to make it happen. You have to show up to the board meeting. You have to make the calls. You have to write the emails. Like you need to defend your family. Like the male is supposed to lead in that. I mean, providing for a family is not limited to financial provision. Of course. And there's a duty that men have to step up and protect. You know, like it's just sad to me. And this is not a comment that is intended to be disrespectful towards the mothers or women. This is a comment that is directed at the men. It took your wives to fight back before you. Mm-hmm. The biggest force against this evil was moms. They marched and just kept making us move our line in the sand backwards. We Everyone kept backpedaling when there were people, and I'm not saying this to be braggadocious or or be self-centered. I was fighting this shit from the very beginning, and I was alone. Same. There were no lawyers or very few that wanted to take this shit on, and I stood right in the face of it. And no one will ever know the hell that I've gone through for doing so, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. That being said, I've been fighting this shit since day one, and I can't do it alone. But everyone else, they were nowhere to be found. It took them pushing us backwards until they reached the stage of mama bear. Mm-hmm. And that's when momentum changed because you do not go after a child. And if it wasn't for women like you fighting back, I don't know where we would be. But that's why we saw, I mean, everything was so systematic. I mean, they were 10 steps ahead, if not more, because why do you think I don't know exactly when in the last 10 years, maybe we've seen such an attack on, on males and masculinity and calling it toxic and all these things. It was, they knew that they needed to weaken men. And if they can weaken men, they can affect the entire family and a nation without strong men is going to fall. And there's nothing wrong with traditional roles. Name one thing. To any feminist that's made it this far into the podcast episode, chances are you probably turned it off and started crying already. You probably already left your one star review. Yeah, well, fuck them. In (laughs) the off chance that there is some feminist out there listening, my question to you is this. Name one thing that you can do as a matter of law legally. Name one thing that you, excuse me, that you can't do that I can do as a male. Name one right that I'm able to do that you do not have the ability to do in this country. You can't before you hurt your brain. Secondly, 
if you know women are so oppressed why is it that men have the higher incarceration rate the number of people that work labor labor intensive jobs or blue collar jobs or physical labor men violent crime victims men lower education levels men higher suicide rates men lower education and employment rates men if we want to go further we could actually target the fact that straight white male christian conservative are the least likely demographic to get a college degree so if you want to talk about you know disparity let's start there the hardest job on earth that being said is being a mother and i've seen it with my own eyes both from looking back and being like damn like i put my mom through some <laughs> shit your brain on the bad side would just not be good and the scary thing is is they have people far smarter than me on that side which is why we are where we are sure that being said being a mom is the hardest job there's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom there's nothing wrong with raising kids there's nothing wrong Well, feminists got tricked that's a full trick oh you're gonna leave your family so you don't want to serve your you don't want to serve your husband your male husband but you're gonna serve the male ceo and then you're gonna you're going to be pulled out of your home away from your children and you're going to spend your entire salary to pay someone else to raise them and then you're also going to pay taxes like if you're anti-capitalist i can't imagine a more uh capitalist pro-capitalist thing to do i mean which is ironic wait let me get this straight you're a feminist because you're fighting for women's rights meanwhile you're allowing anyone on the left to desecrate the entire identity that it means to be a woman you support feminism which is primarily based on getting the ability to tax the other 50 percent of the population while giving your child away to become a custodian of the state while they're teaching and educating your kid in public school well, why do you think they want yeah free you're preschool? fucking brilliant aren't you it's incredible and, and this isn't hating on anyone that i am i'm hating female, on feminists. not feminists but like you know females that choose to work obviously you should have that choice but i think this the whole modern feminist movement like you guys got duped, you yeah. got played. And I, yeah, and thank you for putting that plug in. If you want to work, if you genuinely have the desire to do yeah. so, that is one thing. But if you're working because you think you're sticking it to the man, right? That's you're a dumbass. Yeah, that's just idiocracy. <laughs> it, it's insane to me. And like common sense principles can go so far, and people are like, well, why are you being mean and making and saying that? Or you shouldn't be swearing on your podcast. Oh, you know how many? Fuck me? you. DMs like, I get about you, the F word. I don't care. If you're so offended by literally syllables, a noise, I could say truck, that doesn't offend you. Duck, does that offend you? No, because I put a f, that little sound, duck, fine. F, and then I say duck without the D, that offends you. I can say far more offensive things without swearing. So if you're triggered by the sound of a couple syllables together, I don't care. Secondly, the intent behind me swearing is a form of passion or a form of emphasis on right. the emotion as to how I feel about something. When I'm pissed, I swear. Why? Because I'm mad. And that's how it manifests. If you actually look into it, the highest population of people that swear heavily, meaning the more you swear, it's a bell curve. It's separated into two groups. It's the dumbest people in society and the smartest people in society. And she's laughing at me right now. You take the things that I've told you and then 
you use it as if it's yours. But go ahead. You can I'm, take my bell curve. I'm giving you cred- You can take my bell curve. I'm just fine. trying to show have the how bell well curve. I listen to you, dear. Okay, but you didn't credit me before you started I, saying it. I didn't realize that I was going into that sentence as I started I, speaking. I saw your smirk. You're like, oh, shit, I'm taking her lines. Oh, yeah. She stared at <laughs> me. She gave me those eyes, and I was like, I got to stop. Anyways, the statement is the bell curve is distributed with the highest population of people that swear the most being the dumbest members of society and the most intelligent. And I'm not going to change who I am for you or anyone else. And I implore others to do the same because both of us have lost way more than anyone could ever imagine in not wavering in our beliefs. And I would do it all over again. And I know you would too. Like, what do you think people could do better or do more of? To me, I didn't realize until all of this happened, like how important local politics were. Like, I didn't pay attention to my city council. I didn't pay attention to the school board. Because, I mean, and a lot of these positions are our county board of supervisors. They're not. They're not supposed to be partisan. <laughs> But obviously, they've been weaponized. So, I mean, getting involved on the hyper-local level, that's what affects your life more than anything on the federal level. I've been preaching that forever. Local elections matter. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm guilty of this. Like, I knew that. But again, if it's if it's not supposed to be Democrat or Republican. Like, <laughs> someone on a school board, it shouldn't be politicized. But it has become politicized. So I feel like you get involved where you feel called. And this is another thing going back to what we we're talking about in the beginning of other people telling people where to get involved and what to say and what to care about is I look at it as a hierarchy of what is occurring in the world and outside of the world. It starts with a spiritual level. It starts with God. It starts with faith. When we lose faith and we lose God, then our our culture and our society starts to crumble. The culture, that's where they had to get us on culture, going back to talking about the weakening of of men. And then that starts to trickle down onto the political level because if they don't have the numbers, if they can't indoctrinate our kids and, and, and influence our society with music and all these things, they're not going to be able to achieve their political goals. So for me, I say, Step into where God is calling you to be. Do you know how many people have uh, said, stop? Oh, even about this podcast. I did a poll. I said, hey, like, should I be? He's trying to convince me to be on his podcast. Should I be on his podcast? I got a couple messages. We have enough podcasts. Run for office. Do you know how many times? And I'm sure you've been told, run for oh, office. I have hundreds of people if every you, week. To tell people what to do is just so beyond rude to me. What you should be encouraging people to do and what we all need to do is listen to what God is telling you to do. And that's this is where I am right now because of that. Because when God was preparing me and calling me to do something and it was hard to do and I was like, are you sure, God, should I be talking about this stuff? Oh my gosh, people are going to hate me. And he said, do it. I did it. I, I was obedient in the first step and that led to the next step and then that led to the next step. When God is calling you to do something outside of your comfort zone and it is challenging to you, I just challenge you to accept that. And you just have to have that dialogue with him and that's what you're supposed to do. And we all need to stop telling each other what our journey is supposed to look like and what we're supposed to be doing. Oh my God, you shouldn't be saying this or you sh- you're wasting your time with this. Like you have no, I- no one has any idea 
the ripple effect of one act that they do or thing that they say. I'm I'm dumbfounded every day by people that reach out to me like, Gabby, I was clueless before like I started following you. Like you opened my eyes to all this. Or Gabby, I, I started a Bible study group um, even though I f- don't feel qualified to do so. God was telling me to start this online Bible study. I had people months into it say, Gabby, I'm getting baptized next weekend. Like how huge is that? I had no idea where that was going to lead. It's literally just obedience to God and, and having that dialogue and walking in faith that everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to be. I don't think that it could be said any better. I mean, I have nothing to add. It's all about finding God again. If you God has never left anyone. I can be the first person to admit that I had a tattered relationship with God and spent years of my life living without keeping him in mind. And he never abandoned me. He led me to you, who, you know, I truly believe that we have two purposes on earth, which is one, to find our partner, two, the person that God put us on this earth to find, and secondly, to find our purpose to serve others outside of our own immediate family. I am fortunate enough to have found both in you and being a lawyer and never give up on seeking those two things out. But the only way you're ever going to manifest the full potential you have is either, you know, it's not either, it's both. First, by finding God. And second of all, not wavering when it's difficult or due to fear of the unknown. You can speak up and fight back. And by simple virtue of your existence in society, you can help change culture. Gabby, thank you for making the long trip downstairs. You're so welcome. I appreciate you uh, indulging me in in the (laughs) studio. Uh, That's it for this week, guys. I appreciate you tuning in. Anyone that maybe falls into either category with the PrEP Act, you can reach out to me at yoderesq.com. Otherwise, thanks for listening and talk to you next week.